Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Sylvia Global Radio. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're excited to have back um, with us our very own wealth advisors. And uh, this is going to be an incredible conversation because Emily and Jamie are coming back with some very tangible, um, useful tools, inspiring um, invitations, and an evocative question that will help you actually start to make some changes around your emotional health and your physical health when it comes to money. Emily, Jamie, thank you so much for being here again. How are you? It's our pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's really great. Very excited to have you here. Uh, talk to us about, you know, nobody, nobody, you know, our our physical health, you know, without a sound physical health, you know, we're not really able to accomplish, uh, we're not at our best selves, we, and we don't have all the best um, opportunities. We're not able to take advantage of all of the best opportunities that are presented to us. That's How so does this relate true. to money and to wealth? Yes, and when we work with our clients and with advisors on this whole experience around money and wealth, one of the things we have them focus on right away is their physical body. And where are they as in the conversation? And where are they in terms of how they are um, uh, feeling physically, like in their stomach, in their head, in their heart, to really open up for them the... Um, the capacity to move differently with it. Like if you feel constricted, if you feel um, uh, tight, if you feel that you're not um, moving fluidly, you're not able to access your uh, comfort level and your ease and flow when it comes to money and wealth. And so we have people start right there with their body. What are they feeling physically? And the other piece is, when we're in our bodies, we're present. Our body is physically here. Our thoughts are in the past or in the future. But our body is right here. And so if we're thrown by something emotionally, um, feeling challenged in some way, the best thing we can do is to get present in our bodies. Remarkably, people are so surprised how much time they're not spending in their bodies when they're able to really look at um, where their thoughts are flowing and how they're noticing their body, they see that we tend to operate in our culture as uh, headless minds. And like Emily said, it's so important that we connect back into our bodies. And particularly around the issue of money and wealth, people tend to numb out and not be in their body. So we really work with our clients to notice what are they feeling, how are they reacting, and oftentimes to check out those feelings. If they start to get anxious as something 
um, happens. There's a lot of good information underneath about what is, you know, the conversation that you're having in your head. So we work with clients a lot to start to understand that so that they can just be present to what's happening at the moment and make decisions based on being grounded and in reality and not in their heads thinking about other things. You know, it's that it's that mind talk. You know, exactly. that, that that self talk, um, those conversations within our own mind that no one else is privy to, uh, where we either are boosting ourselves, loving ourselves, or we're our own source of discouragement, you know, or we're we're saying negative things. We either have positive self talk or negative self talk. And oftentimes you know, until it's brought to our awareness, we're not even conscious of what we're saying and doing to our own selves and the ramifications of that in our overall lives and the and, and, and for the purposes of this conversation, the ramifications of it as it relates to our relationship with money and our physical health. Yeah, and one of the things I would say is any woman who's listening to this will automatically know what you're speaking about yeah. when it comes to their body. Like what woman doesn't look in the mirror and has all kinds of self-talk going on in terms of how she looks? And then we can use that as a reference point as we then begin to look at what are the ways that we're talking to ourselves about our money and about our wealth that are impacting our physical body. And one example that we give is um, if you find yourself eating uh, kind of compulsively or unconsciously, and then you notice what was going on before that, you may have found like there was a, uh, a decision that had to be made or a distribution just came in from your inheritance or something that's not being addressed in the emotional realm will sometimes end up being acted out in the physical realm, and it has a very strong impact on the body. Why does this why does this matter? You know, what what's the significance of why is it important? Well, as Emily said earlier, our physical body is really our foundation. And as you said, Gelfovia, no body, no body. So if we don't attend to our physical being, then we're not able to do any of the things in the world that are our goals. So if we don't have health, we can't make the changes we want. We can't even go to the grocery store. So it's so important, and women in particular are so conditioned to making sure that their children's health is taken care of, even their spouse's health or their partner's health, but we often don't attend to our own health. We don't see it as important. It gets pushed down in the priority list. So without that, we don't give ourselves the tool and the physical being to be as powerful as we can be. Yeah, we we often liken it to the, the phrase that we all are aware of in terms of, you know, without your health, all the wealth in the world isn't going to make any difference. And yeah. Um, one of the things that we're seeing more and more, and I know that you're seeing this, Gail Sylvia, is um, you know the whole thing around body image and the um, oh, you know, the plastic surgeries that people are having and the 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 
the eagerness to not age and to be eternally youthful. It's an ongoing thing that happens with us as we evolve and we have more money. It's like we need to then have a new way of appearing in the world as if we're perfect or as if we're, you know, infallible or it, it defines us so strongly. And one of the things that when we work with people is to look at it from a holistic perspective that our physical health and well-being is tied to our emotional health and well-being, is tied to how we relate to our finances and our wealth and what are the emotions around that. And then there's the spiritual side, too, and I love that faith is such an important part of the work that you do as well. And when all four of those are in alignment and there's a sense of balance and ease, true health can start to be experienced that allows for that experience of the true wealth that we were talking about. How does this affect our our sexuality? Oh, I love that you would bring that up because, you know, as women we have these, um, if we even talk about that, like we're talking about the taboo of money and physically we can't talk about the physical health if we're not talking about what's going on with us sexually and sensually and who we are as feminine beings in the world. You know, you speak to and look at a lot of feminine leaders, women leaders, and they've had to take on a very masculine way of being in the world. And they they can be quite brutally um, approached in the media. And so we have this way of really going internal. Um, and I use the word brutal deliberately because when you look at, I think it was Newsweek recently, had a whole article about women that are high-powered leaders wanting to be in submissive sexual relationships with men where they actually, they had a woman with a a satiny black blindfold around her head and they talked about bondage and using that as a way to bring out the feminine and the surrender sexually because they're having to be so overly masculine in the work world. And again, we just come back to the sense of balance and where women can really be strong in their feminine as their leaders in the world and in their roles as mother and wife, and where they can really tap into that um, that place of being nurtured and being loved and being in a place of surrender and letting go of control um, in their sexual relationships as well. So if that fire has gone out, that's where you want to start looking at, oh, where have I overcompensated? Where have I not been tapping into my power as a woman? Um, in my feminine side, and we have, how, we have ways that we work with people on that too. How how do you give some examples of how you work with the sexuality of this um, association with wealth? A lot of the ways that we work with the sexuality is to have people think about the self talk that they have going on, um, because when you relate to that self talk as reality. So when I look in the mirror and I tell myself I'm not attractive or I'm aging or there's things that are sagging, then that's how I, and I start to believe that that's the reality, then that's how I start to move in the world. And it's hard to be, feel sensual or sexual from that position. So we have a lot of control over the self-talk that we give ourselves and how much credence we give it as reality as opposed to a fleeting thought and that we can invite other conversations into being that, you know, I am powerful, I can create life, um, I can create intimacy and sensuality. 
those kind of conversations then become our reality and lead how we're moving in the world. And that's a completely different perspective. You know, know, I I didn't see that article that you were referring to, Emily, about um, women in powerful leadership positions and that bondage example. Uh, You know, my, my instinctive gut reaction as I was listening to you say that was, Oh, that's ill. You know, like that's, <laughs> but then maybe that's what happens to us when we don't have these types of awarenesses that, that our conversations with you as Sylvia Global's wealth psychologists are bringing forward is that we find ourselves, um, in positions mentally, emotionally, sexually, uh, you know, physically that are not healthy. And the sign of, you know, dis-ease in this area is that we put ourselves into, you know, positions and relationships that, again, don't nurture our souls and help us to experience the best that we may desire for us to be. And uh, so how do, again, on this you know, this area of the sexuality and wealth psychology, uh, what would be the first step, you know, that you would have someone take to start healing in this area? And, you know, I really, Or the second step. You've already described the first yeah. step. The first step is doing exactly, you know, being conscious of your, our self-talk. So yeah, noticing and bringing awareness to it is key. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that we so enjoy about you is the, the way in which you're so respectful on how you touch in on these topics. And it's something that we're very, very careful about when we work with somebody is um, we do not make anybody wrong for the choices that they're making. Right. If somebody mm-hmm. comes to us where it's a concern of theirs, if it's a problem for them, if they feel like it's sick, wow, we want to meet them right there mm-hmm. and really start looking at what's right about this for you. What is it that you're getting out of this that really makes a difference for you, right? And as opposed to making it wrong or this is a right. problem or sick, it's more about, wow, that is serving a purpose. And we want to really honor that because it's not getting met somewhere else where maybe you'd like it to be or maybe in a way that would feel more healthy, that this is a way of having an outlet for something that really matters, that's not getting able to be expressed more fully. And then from there, there can be an opening to then explore from that place that there's no right or wrong. It's just this is what is and really bringing some appreciation and acknowledgement for their capacity and skill to be creative around what is, and then moving from that place to what are what's one thing that they might be able to do in another area of life to start to cultivate that experience that they have through that channel. Does that make sense? It, it, it does, but give me, give me something tangible that, you know, I can can visualize? Well, it's so individual for each person, but I can give you an example. Um, So um, uh, a woman that um, I've worked with um, who was really challenged with wanting to express, um, wanting to look at her, how she was expressing herself in that way, was really um, feeling uh, a sense of dissatisfaction in her relationship and how she really felt demeaned in it, even as she was wanting to be in that surrender role. 
And so we started to really look at the whole phenomenon of how men and women relate um, sexually and different roles we can take on. And we, we looked at it from role-playing as opposed to identifying very strongly with that one role that she had been in and then seeing how he responded to playing with different roles that they could have together to expand out um, their different ways of relating. And then if he wasn't open to it, she got some really important data about um, how much he really did respect and love her and how much was she being just uh, treated like an object for his needs, which she was feeling really lousy about. So she began to open up the conversation by just taking a step and saying, uh, she explored with me what would be something that would be comfortable and enjoyable for her in a different way and then how to approach it with him um, and then seeing how he responded. That's well, one little step. That, that's a very significant um, step. And again, this is one of those examples where it's so private, you know, it, it's so personal that nobody else would be aware of this, necessarily aware of this, internal struggle that she may have going on in this relationship and with her sexuality and again how it uh, uh, it manifests itself in other ways um and especially as it might relate to money you know and to wealth i recently had a conversation with a couple of different conversations that um this applying this example to is um would be kind of intriguing for me. So I'm going to ask you the questions. One of the conversations was with a, a major donor, a major global donor who funds uh, women and girls, but she funds in areas of, uh, in, in Amsterdam specifically, that support the rights of prostitutes and, you know, their rights. And so, and, and those ladies, you know, women choosing to remain in that profession but wanting to make sure that they have, you know, legal rights and medical and health insurance rights. And so this donor funds that. Then there was another conversation interview with, you know, women, a donor who funds trying to get women out of, you know, sexual, um, sex, whether it's sex trafficking or out of prostitution and she funds the you know the services for them to get out of that industry and out of pornography and to start a a fresh life. So when I was listening and then I had a third conversation actually just um 3 days ago it's an interview it's on it is on the interview uh with another major donor for women and girls and we were talking about her accumulation of wealth and her experiences on um you know in the financial industry and how she you know earned her wealth and it's it's significant in the work that she's doing for women and girls and oddly enough to, for to me when i was i was surprised she caught me off guard it was such a passing statement but she said, you know, when I got it, you know, I felt inclined, you know, I felt pressure to have to also change my physical appearance, you know, and I really had to come to terms with the fact that um, I just have to continue to accept myself the way that I am and I don't have to look like the next, next best porn star. And then, you know, she just kept going. 
And so between these three different conversations, you know, it caused me to think, uh, that's kind of interesting, you know, how on one hand there's this group of women that are completely comfortable with whatever their sexual lives are and their business and and are very public about it, at least in Amsterdam. And then there are others who want out of it because they it's damaging for them. And then here's this third person who directly connected her sexuality and her image to her image with her wealth to a sexual image and having to come to grips with that. And again, this is not a topic that we hear any conversation about, you know, but three different scenarios, but all very real, you know, for women and the importance of our sensuality and our sexuality and our comfort level within ourselves and outside of ourselves. Absolutely. I think you hit on something so essential that two of the biggest taboos in our life as women is talking about sexuality and really getting comfortable in our own bodies and talking about money and wealth. So it's no wonder that they get interweaved with one another and that they come up as thematic so often for women. We have experience, when we work with clients, we almost always have them say something like, I'm so glad that I found you because there's nowhere that I can really comfortably talk about my money issues. Um, you know, people already have an opinion about it, um, and they're judging me. That's what they feel. And I think it's the same thing about um, sensuality and sexuality, that people are very relieved to have an open forum that's private and safe to have these further conversations. And they're always astounded when we say, oh, we hear that a lot from other women because, again, with our self-talk, we often have the fantasy that we're the only ones experiencing it in this way. And it's so comforting and relieving to most people to hear that other people are struggling with those same issues, and it brings it back to just uh, a normative behavior. How about the emotional health and the relationship of the emotional health to wealth? Well, that's really our main focus. That is the work that we do because, again, um, you know, people don't usually even think about an emotional relationship to wealth. You know, there's so many um, ideas and um, sort of fantasies about what wealth gives people in the world that we are running around with, you know, money buys you happiness, if you have more, life is easier, all these things that, again, we take as reality, but they're not, they don't necessarily bear out in, in the research. So when people are able to really open up and look at their emotional relationship to money and wealth, they can start to have a completely different conversation first of all with themselves, within themselves, and then for their families. And it's it's a trickle-out effect to their communities, to their world. They can start to stand up for these organizations depending on their view to say, you know, I support prostitution, but I want people to have good 
health care and good conditions or, no, I want to help people get out of the sex trade. They're able to really dive into those deeper conversations based on what they really feel and not based on um, this idea of, um, you know, I should look a certain way and money should bring me a certain amount of happiness. It's, again, that reality-based movement as opposed to moving from what our culture tells us about these two subjects. Yeah, and I, I laughed when you introduced this again as um, wealth advisors because, of course, automatically in somebody's mind, it's, oh, this is going to be a conversation about money and what to do with our assets. And you have amazing advisors on your site for that um, that we totally respect and um, refer people to. And we are the ones that talk about that emotional component in relationship to all those decisions and the impact that it has in their lives. And so it's like that true wealth of what does that mean to to have that sense of wealth and well-being in your life. Now? Can you hear me now? Hi, Jamie. Yeah, yes, okay. I thought yeah, we lost okay. you. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was nervous for a moment, too. Uh, yeah, the difference between being, uh, and thanks for correcting that um, for me, Emily, because at the introduction I meant to say wealth psychology um, partners, and I referred to you as the wealth advisors. And you know, it's kind of the interesting combinations because you're the wealth psychology advisors. You know? yeah. <laughs> and uh, so give us the evocative question you know for the emotional takeaway here and the inspiring invitation um, and we also want to make sure people have a very specific takeaway that they can do right away too which yeah. um you've already spoken into a little bit in terms of that what's the one little step you can take so you you definitely prepared us for what we wanted to make sure people could really walk away with um so our evocative question for this um, interview is, while you may be attending to the physical health of those around you, your your kids, your partner, um, are you making your own physical health as much of a priority? So it's really um, an exploration of just noticing where your attention is going around physical health. Is it to others? Is it to yourself? Do you have yourself as a priority? It's, we like to give people the analogy of the uh, oxygen mass on the airplane. You know, you can't really help your children with their physical health unless you've attended to your own physical health first. So make sure to put that oxygen mass on yourself and then put it on your child. Great. And... How do we, um, what tools can our listeners work with that you suggest? You made reference to Kaizen, the art of taking consistent small steps, you know, toward achieving your goals. Can you elaborate on that as a tool? Absolutely. That's a fabulous method. Um, One of the things that happens to us when we try to make big changes in our life is that we start to stimulate our amygdala. And our amygdala is the area in our brain that's really responsible for our fight-or-flight reaction. So we go into either getting scared and running away and saying, I'm not doing that, 
or we get, you know, into a fight mode where we're going to very dogmatically take something on. And that lasts for a while, but we can't keep up that intensity. So what the research has shown is if you take small steps, you can bypass the amygdala. So, for instance, the um, the first time that they used this research was with um, single mothers who um, had very little time on their hands and needed to lose um, significant weight. And the doctors, you know, didn't feel that they could say to them, exercise every day for 20 minutes because that just wasn't, that was going to be overwhelming. So they asked them simply to march in place in front of the TV for one minute a day. And by the time they came back for the next visit to the doctor, they were so motivated because they were effortlessly able to do that one minute a day in front of the TV, and they were ready for more. So gradually they took on two minutes and three minutes. And what they found was that that was the key to making sustainable change. So in this instance, in our evocative question, and also in our inspiring invitation, which is to focus on one aspect of physical health that you would personally like to increase and then take a small action every day this week and notice what difference it makes in your lives and the lives of people around you. So you might decide something like, I'm going to work on exercising more frequently, but you're not going to go and start running three miles a day. What you're going to do is find one simple thing. I'm going to take the stairs once a day, whereas, um, you know, before I used to take the elevator. And it can also be something as simple as, I'm going to put my running shoes in front of the um, the, the door that might inspire me to, to run today. Excellent. And very very reasonable small step that could lead yeah. to big results. Uh, you know, before we close, let's get a useful tool for the emotional help. Well, well, we definitely tapped into some very emotional topics today, and so one of the things that we recommend is to start to uh, create some distance from that uh, voice in the head that really feeds you a lot of stuff that cannot be the most sustaining. And one way to do that is by journaling. And um, one time of day to do that that can be really helpful is in the morning, um, right when you wake up, and the very first thing you do when you wake up is reach for your journal and just dump on the page whatever it is that you are, um, your mind's been racing with. If you wake up in the middle of the night and your mind's racing about something, just you know, go and take out a journal and just dump it on the page and give yourself a chance to get that sleep that you need. Um, and then you can have a fresher outlook in the morning. Jamie, did you want to add anything to that one? I love the suggestion of journaling. And one of the things that it's important to make sure you're doing, it's great what Emily said about being able to dump because when those things are in your brain, it's taking up active energy. And one invitation that I would invite listeners to do as well as the dumping is also to really record their wins. So if you put your sneakers in front of the door, then write it down and applaud yourself for doing that because sometimes we forget to give ourselves the credit and we let those things slip by. But we really want to applaud the ways that we are attending to both our physical and our emotional health. 
And then for listeners mm-hmm. who um, are really um, wanting to take this a step further, we uh, we offer something called a genogram where they can start to look at the uh, the whole map of their their family and their lives and where these emotional components are coming from. That can give them a lot of clarity and open up new possibilities for them. And that's a, a great area. We love using the Genogram tool, and um, we will be doing a further talk with you, Gail Sylvia, that will go much more into detail about how a Genogram can be useful for people. So we look forward to having that conversation. This is extremely exciting because we give our listeners an opportunity to be their best selves and to make the changes that they may have personally and privately, you know, very privately longing to make but didn't know where to begin because they felt very alone in doing so. And, again, that's this topic on, you know, conversations around wealth and money are so taboo in our society. And having a chance to do that with wealth psychologists you know, our wealth psychology partners with, you know, you, Jamie, and Emily is very helpful because it also gives our listeners a chance to touch on another taboo topic, and that's our sexuality this morning, you know, as it relates to uh, wealth and money and our physical and emotional well-being. And you've now got us on a healthy path, at least taking those first small, you know, those small steps. So thank you very much. I think we've actually taken a a great, very large step, and we just want to thank you again for providing this platform because Emily and I are really committed to um, lessening the taboo on each of these subjects and really making those conversations more open because that really allows us to move more freely um, and more authentically. So thank you. This is Gail Sylvia, host of Sylvia Global. You've been listening to our wealth psychology partners, Emily Bouchard and Dr. Jamie Traeger-Mooney, this morning. Uh, We'll be back for more. You can find us at their contact information, these tools, um, inspiring invitations, and other tips um, from our wealth psychology partners on sylviaglobal.com. And there's more to come. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much, ladies. We'll be talking again soon. Thank you. Thank you.